told me I'd be doing all this, you know, 10 years ago when I was going through the heartbreak and the, you know, abuse situation. If you had told me I'd be coordinating all this, I don't think I could believe you because, you know, at that time I was just trying to get through day to day. You're listening to the Take Back Podcast, where women of color creatives come together to inspire, empower, and encourage each other. I'm Jess Pillay an Indo-Fijian independent singer-songwriter. And I'm Angelica Dianda, a Mexican-American licensed mental health counselor and singer. And this is the podcast where we explore and elevate stories from women of color who are artists, musicians, actors, entrepreneurs, and so on, who are navigating and taking back systems designed against them. Welcome back to the Take Back Podcast. I'm Jess, and I'm here with Angelica Dianda, my best friend and co-host. And this is the podcast where we talk all about what it means to be women of color who are navigating creative pursuits. On today's episode, we are talking to Ronnie Weatherby, who is a friend of mine and a music colleague here in the Seattle area. She's a Pacific Northwest-based Indian-American singer-songwriter, which, first of all, that in and of itself got me really excited when I met her because (laughs) how often do we get a chance to see people who kind of share that same background? But yeah, she is the front woman of the musical project Champagne Honeybee. And while she lives and works in the greater Seattle area, her music has actually touched global audiences. She's performed across the United States and also in her birth country of India, which is awesome. Champagne Honeybee has been featured on a variety of different television and radio platforms, including the King 5 Morning News and Evening Magazine and KEXP right here in Seattle. All right, so we are going to jump right into the episode. We hope you enjoy this conversation with singer-songwriter Ronnie Weatherby. We always like to start with just hearing from our guests about their background. Um, Obviously, I know a little bit about that, but tell us about your upbringing. I know you were born in India and then raised in, it's Snohomish, Washington, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So tell us about that, how you got to Snohomish and what your upbringing was like. Well, you are correct. I was born in Calcutta, India in uh, 1982. (laughs) So do the math. (laughs) The milestone (laughs) birthday coming up this year. Um, And then I was adopted as basically a newborn. I was a couple months when I got to the U.S. and I was adopted by a single mom, adopted into a Caucasian American family, raised in Snohomish, Washington. We also adopted my sister from India four years later. So there were two of us. (laughs) But uh, other than that, uh, there there were not a whole lot of people of color in the town where I was raised. And um, when there were, I, I often clung to them or <laughs> clung to the idea of them yeah. just because there were so few of us. Definitely. It's interesting. I'm like That's kind of like the story of how Jess and I met in college where we went to a private university and there you could probably count like how many people of color students were there, but like just with like two hands. So when I met right. Jess, I was like, oh, it's like two little magnets. Like, just, <laughs> just, Another brown person. <laughs> we were very excited. Yeah, exactly. Um, so getting into music, how did that come about? What were your earliest memories of getting into music? I would say my musical inclination presented itself pretty early on. First of all, I loved the Muppet show (laughs) when I was a kid and my mom would tape them off of TV and like any child, I would watch the same few episodes over and over and over again. Now, mind you, these were like the 1970s Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. Like the golden 
Yeah. Yes. Right. So my favorite episodes, number one was Elton John. Nice. <laughs> Love it. And I have to tell you, he was my first crush. I was three years old. <laughs> and 70s Elton John was my first crush. Like that man in the rhinestones and the feathers, the piano key hat, like that was my man right there. Like you can <laughs> tell me otherwise. <laughs> Imagine my disappointment. <laughs> A few years later. But anyway, <laughs> so Elton John was my number one. And then my other favorites were Gladys Knight and Paul mm-hmm. Simon. Those episodes just, they really helped shape me. Oh, and the Star Wars episode. But I guess that didn't have as much of a musical sure. <laughs> influence on me. But I'd say um, that helped shape me from an early age. I wanted to play piano. At that point in time, or at least shortly after, I was enrolled in dance class. Oh. Spoiler alert, I'm no dancer. So... <laughs> When the opportunity came to decide between continuing dance or starting piano lessons, when I was about six years old, I chose piano lessons. Mm -hmm. So I started in piano. Well, actually, I did both piano and classical voice lessons in high school. And then in college, I sang in jazz ensembles and classical ensembles. So I was kind of getting both styles on a regular basis. But at the same time, I would say starting around the age of 17, I started writing my own songs. That was a little more challenging to present in the college setting because we were so busy doing everything else between all my academic classes and then the performance classes. There wasn't a whole lot of time to um, show myself as a songwriter or develop as a songwriter, but I kept writing songs kind of in private, (laughs) in my downtime, quote unquote, um, during those years. Cool. So you talked a little bit about some of your musical influences and it sounds like Having, like me, grown up in the United States, where most of the music that you were exposed to was probably more Western music, right? And the A- stuff that absolutely. we grew up listening to. Um, did you have any influence from Indian music at any point in your life? You know, it's interesting. I um, And not not when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I, uh, mm-hmm. You know, my mom loved 50s music, so we listened to that sure. in the car a lot. And then, you know, when I was a teenager, I was really into well, Prince, yeah. <laughs> you know, anything about me, you'll know that I'm obsessed with Prince. So Prince, Elton John, Shaka Khan. I loved mm. funk. I loved jazz. Ella Fitzgerald yeah. um, and Billie Holiday were huge influences on me as a teen. Yeah. So I was very influenced, obviously, by Western music. But then in college, specifically university, I took world music. And that's when I decided to learn more about Indian music and ragas and these amazing scales that have up to 24 tones in them, Mm -hmm. tones that Western ears aren't used to hearing. And it blew my mind. And a lot of the listening I did were on old school LPs. I had to go to the music library and put these old records on, you know, to listen to this music. And it was really kind of eye-opening. And at the same time, kind of frustrating that that wasn't a part of my music education growing up that I felt that my music education was very narrowed and limited Mm -hmm. and and not just because of no Indian music but other types of music African music you know indigenous music Mm. you know I think that those should be a part of our music education as well not just classical and broke and uh, touching on jazz a little bit right definitely so yeah, we could go on a whole whole rant about that because I have very right. similar feelings about that as well. <laughs> well, one of the things that maybe like just so fascinating to meet you, Ronnie, was getting to learn more just about the instruments that you use in your music. You're a ukulele player. 
I am. And there's actually kind of a long story behind that. So people thought that was pretty random. You know, why why ukulele for a, a, a jazz singer? Because most of my life, people knew me as a, a jazz singer. Anyway, I, in piano as yeah. well. Um, first of all, piano is not super portable. You know, right. my, no, I have, a, not. I, have a, I have a keyboard over here that weighs way too many pounds to yeah, take right. with me <laughs> to gigs. <laughs> Um, so I needed something portable and I'll admit I tried guitar for half a second and I had a little trouble with it. You know, my fingers aren't extraordinarily long and, and I'm not extraordinarily coordinated either. And my ex was a guitar player and he did try to teach me a few scales and a few chords, but I don't know, something about it just wasn't quite jiving. Yeah. So how I kind of discovered the ukulele as a, a good option and not just a novelty instrument or a toy as some people kind of seem to think the ukulele is um I was really into flight of the concords okay. <laughs> oh my gosh in, I love it back yeah. in 2009 <laughs> 2010 and I I have to tell you actually not only was I interested in pursuing a career in music when I was a teenager I wanted to pursue a career in comedy okay I love stand-up comedy I love Saturday Night Live so then, you know, 10 years later down the road, I discovered Fly of the Concords and there was Tenacious D as well. But Fly right. of the Concords really resonated with me because their humor was so goofy, yes. kind of <laughs> subtle. I really enjoy New Zealand humor a lot. And so I got really into Fly of the Concords. Their music actually really helped lift me out of some bad times, mm. um, especially when I was going through a health crisis. It was the only thing that could make me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> their music and Brett from Fly the Concords was in the Wellington Ukulele Orchestra in New Zealand. And mm -hmm. so I watched some of their videos and that kind of showed me how versatile ukulele could be. Mm -hmm. and there were a few other artists who were covering songs on ukulele that you wouldn't normally think is ukulele music. Right. Um, this was like around 2009, 2010. So in 2011, I was working as a music teacher at Jimboree. Uh, my students were anywhere from six months to about two and a half years old. And I wanted to play songs for them in class because every week we would have a different lesson plan, whether sure. it was African music, classical music, the Beatles, Elvis, you know, you name it. They had several lesson plans. And I always thought it'd be kind of fun to perform a song for my students. And I thought, well, I really want something that would be easy to play in class. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll buy a uke. And so actually one day after teaching, because I was in a mall, <laughs> I went to the nearest music store at the Bellevue Square Mall and picked out, I'll be real with you, the prettiest ukulele in the <laughs> store. <laughs> and that was my baby. I named him Lenny. Love it. And we were a power duo. I wanted us to, like, I really wanted to market us as like a comedy duo. And I had a whole <laughs> oh set of comedy songs. I played at comedy open mic nights. I even got booked on a few comedy shows. And I'll be real with you, before I entered kind of the music scene in Seattle, sure. I had my foot in the comedy scene. And okay. I'm so grateful because they still hold a place for me to this day. I mean, some of my last gigs that I had before the pandemic were kind of comedy variety type of shows. So they haven't forgotten about me. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like, so like we just learned something so cool. Like yeah, in the yeah. new. So that's how it started. Okay. Um, and then a couple of years later, my life just completely fell apart. The bottom fell out. I'm talking heartbreak. Um, I don't want to get too into it, but also domestic violence mm -hmm. and losing my housing and just everything was bad. Yeah. It was real bad at the end of 2012. So this was about 10 years ago. And at that time, I used my ukulele to write songs to help me heal 
Yeah. And so a lot of those songs ended up being very heartbreaking and, you know, very sad or, you know, very angry. And I think that's something that kind of shocks people. They expect ukulele music to be very upbeat and happy and cute. And so here I was getting up on stages and just like wailing my heart out, you know, <laughs> about being heartbroken and crying and things like that. And so that was, I think, was pretty unexpected. When I first started out my my solo career and when I first got a band together, it was it was kind of angry ukulele music. I mean, what a brand to have, yes. right? That's not something most people think of when they think right. of the ukulele. Well, so and, that's great. and also when I get on stage, I'm usually smiling and I'm usually telling jokes between songs and whatnot. So it's kind of funny when I'm like, all right, up next is a song about domestic violence. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people don't always yeah. know how to take that, but um I make it work. I, I yeah, think yeah. Uh, one thing I have learned over the years, for better or for worse, I have learned good um, kind of de-escalation skills and good uh, mm-hmm. you know skills as far as padding the bad news with good news. Sure, yeah, sure, definitely. So it works. It works. My, my, I promise you, my shows aren't doom and gloom. I still get people <laughs> dancing and smiling and whatnot, even if the song's subject matter is is a little dark. Well, I'm a huge fan of the angsty kind of emo, <laughs> you know, sad stuff. That's also what I write. So right. you know it. Well, definitely resonates. And that's like, it's you know, and that's the type of music that I like to listen to. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's because it's real, like, it's real, that's real life. And, and I right. love that, like, you know, creating this music in a way with an instrument where traditionally people would not associate depth, right? Exactly. I love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I've had people comment as such, you know, I, I played at the Columbia City Theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they had uh, Crash the Glass, and it was an all- female music singer-songwriter showcase. And I remember one gentleman came up to me after I played a set for Crash the Glass and he said to me that he'd never heard such meaningful lyrics Mm. with ukulele music. And that really touched my heart. This was, you know, probably a good five or six years ago. And it really touched my heart that it resonated with him yeah and that and that he felt brave enough to come up and tell me because we don't always hear hear the feedback right so that that was really wonderful feedback to get and I've also had naysayers I've definitely had people tell me you know ditch the uke you know you've got this powerful soulful voice like you know ditch the ukulele I'm like "Mm, no thank you it's like unless you want to unless they want to buy me a new instrument or follow me around and back me up at all my gigs, you know, I'm not going to ditch the ukulele. And I will say kind of backing up to learning a new instrument, I will say it was much easier for me to learn Mm -hmm. on my own than say guitar. I spent probably a good two weeks playing every waking hour that I wasn't at work, practicing chords, practicing strums. And I found a lot of resources on YouTube. Thank thank you, Music School of YouTube. Um, And I also printed out like a chord chart. Yeah. And I just worked on that for a good two weeks because, you know, it's so funny. I bought my ukulele in late March of 2011. And then a friend of mine booked me to open for his band like early May. So I had like six weeks, maybe less than six weeks to get my act together. Literally, (laughs) I had to get an act together. And I think I only, you know, only had about a half an hour's worth of material, but that's all I needed to open. But I had to be ready. And so... You know, I I got ready. Yeah, I love <laughs> I, it. I'd like to think that I've stayed ready, but <laughs> that's not always the case. Yeah. yeah, so so that's that's kind of another reason ukulele worked in my love favor. It. Is it? I'll I'll tell everyone it's really not that hard to learn. Although people will ask me if I'd like to teach them or their kids ukulele lessons, and I have to decline. And the reason is because I didn't necessarily learn the correct techniques, mm. <laughs> and I might not necessarily be playing things 
correctly every time. So as a self-taught person, I don't want to pass any of those bad habits on to others. So yeah, I've had several people ask and I've, I've had to say no, but I will point them to other people I know who are qualified instructors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. So if anyone's listening and had that hope or dream, well, now, you know, <laughs> I'm <enough>. sorry, <laughs> you know, I'll teach, I teach other things, you know, like I teach a songwriting workshop with Rain City Rock Camp and I uh, taught, you know, beginning music classes to babies, but that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> so tell us about your band. First of all, we love the name. Um, you know, when I was telling Angelica about your band, she went, that is such an awesome name. So we would love to know, first of all, how that name came about. And then also just a little <laughs> bit about the project overall. All right, another story. Um, so one of my top favorite artists is Beck. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been oh. a fan of Beck's. Also mid- such a since- great musician. Yes. Well, I you know what? I, I start calling him, he's not just a, a musician or songwriter. He's kind of a song designer mm. because he uses so many tools in his music, yeah. you know, lots of sampling, using the, you know, all the studio effects and things like that. I really respect him as an artist and I've been a fan since I was like, 14 or 15. And so when it came time to name my band, I remembered a song that he did off of his Midnight Vultures album. The song is called Mixed Business. And there's a part in the, I think it's the pre-chorus where he sings, um, pour champagne on a honeybee, champagne honeybee. Oh, that's perfect. And I'm like, I'm going to just yoink, (laughs) take that for my band name because I thought it was cute, but also a little unique and a little different and you know like you said it kind of makes you wonder where that come from right. um but it also and one of my friends he kind of had a good description for it. he's like oh well you know it's like champagne it's intoxicating but it's a honeybee she could sting you you know right. so I kind of like that description so I, I chose champagne honeybee based on that song and I always thought well if Beck hears about it and gets upset and wants to sue me then I guess I'll get to meet him in court <laughs> <laughs> So far, so good. No, yeah. no legal action. And I also, I also made sure to Google, uh, and and be sure that there was no other band called Champagne Honeybee. And so far, I've only found a horse named Champagne Honeybee. And I, don't, I don't think she's going to be dropping an album anytime soon. So I don't I think, think so still, either. Yeah, I think you're safe. Eleven years later, we're still in the clear. And, yeah, you know, I have music, and I have you know music and whatnot copyrighted. So I, you're good. <laughs> I, think I think we're. I think we're good. I'm no legal expert, but that's so great. I love it. <laughs> and then tell us a little bit about just what your band is doing, and yeah, who's in it. Tell us what you sound like. Describe it to us. A little sure. Bit. Um, and I have to admit that the uh, roster has been ever evolving. Um, some people have moved away. Some people have yeah. moved out of the country. Um, you know, some people just, you know, have other projects going on. So our band or my band, uh, we play everything from, you know, we'll we'll play jazz standards. We'll play jazz standards, soul covers, rock. And then my own music will have elements of, well, some of my new songs have elements of reggae, Latin mm. funk, 80s pop, a little of everything. And, and that's another thing that I feel strongly about is not limiting not only your instrumentation, but not limiting yourself in terms of genre. Mm-hmm. You know, right. If there's a sound that you want, and there's a sound that you desire, go for it. Totally. You know? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Find musicians who are flexible like that, where they can play you know, rock and funk and jazz and reggae, Yeah, you know, yeah. and sometimes those are all different people and that's okay too. Yeah. You know, but, so but don't cool. limit, don't limit your vision. Totally. You know? I love that so much because I just finished my 
debut EP. You know, it's five songs and I kind of make the joke that it's like five different genres, you know, because <laughs> I kind of cross all these That's borders, great. which makes it a little hard to market, I think, at times because people are like, well, what's your sound and what's your style? And it's a little totally. bit all over the place, but it made for a much more enjoyable mm -hmm. creative process, I think. And I'm sure you can speak to that because you're getting to tap into all these different people and all these other creatives who have their strengths and, you know, what they're bringing to the table. And it's never a dull moment, I think, right. when you do it that way. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and then I think it it makes for a more interesting uh, live show, too, totally. I think. Because, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak ill of <clears throat> anyone or anyone's favorite genres. But, but, you know, I've been to some shows where not only does the artist or the band play all songs in the same genre, but sometimes they'll have, their set will have, two, three or more songs back to back to back that are in the same tempo, the same key. Mm -hmm. And after a while it can, you know, I'm not saying it's boring, but it's, it's, um, you know, it can kind of lull you in yeah. your seat a little bit, yeah. you know, and I, I kind of want to keep things interesting. So I do try to, when I, even when I'm putting my set lists together, make sure that if there's a ballad that the next song's a little more upbeat or, you know, I try to switch them up. So it's not three songs in the same key, back to back to back. Sure. I don't know. And, and I know everyone enjoys a different listening experience, but I personally like a little variety. Yeah. And especially if it's going to be like an outdoor summer concert, you know, you got, you got to bring the jams, you got to bring right. <laughs> some danceable uh, hits in there and my own songs that are more danceable and, and kind of pepper the slower songs throughout. So we don't start losing people. <laughs> Definitely. Well, one of the things that I know that you were kind of slightly touching on, you know, the events of 2020, right? We all mm -hmm. had to, in a variety of different ways, learn how to pivot and pivot hard and pivot quick. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm just kind of curious for you as a musician, like, what did that look like for you? How did you pivot and continue to engage in your craft during the last couple of years? Um, well, once again, I want to be completely honest and transparent sure. with y'all. Uh, the first several months, I did nothing because... Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I was scared. Yeah. Um, I was very worried about my own health and my own <laughs> mortality yeah. um, because I am without going into too much detail, I am an immune compromised person. Mm -hmm. And at that time, without any kind of vaccinations, I was, I was very scared. I mean, and I even told my, my doctors, you know, I'm, I'm scared to leave the house. You know, yeah. luckily I was able to, uh, transition into working from home. Um, uh, but my partner still worked outside the home. Right. So I was, you know, I was very worried. So if I'm being totally honest, I needed some time to deal with the physical and mental health ramifications of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and I did start to feel a little hard on myself for not doing music, but looking back, I'm really glad that I took that time because I needed it. Yeah. And I think it is really important as artists to not be too hard on ourselves and to, yeah. oh, to give us ourselves times to rest and recover and reflect because, you know, our creativity, you know, we can always go back to that. Right. Yeah. You can always, the music is always there mm -hmm. for us. And I think I did play a couple virtual events over that summer, but I wasn't really writing anything. I was just, like I said, I was kind of in survival mode and just trying to get through the, the times we were in. And then it really wasn't until that fall, especially not only with the pandemic, but with the social justice issues, police brutality, the racism that was back at the forefront of the news over the summer. All of that really started to hit me. And I actually did write a song, an original song that I recorded at home all by myself for the first, that was my first time ever 
recording something on my own and producing something on my own. I released a song that's called Where Can I Run? I released mm. it on Bandcamp. I even shot a music video with my iPhone. Wow. <laughs> and like zero budget other than buying like a few props for the video. But we enlisted the help of friends and some family to shoot this video. And I edited it all myself on my computer and you know it was it was kind of my first foray into DIY music making but it felt really cathartic to do it because yeah. I did have all these feelings and fears and concerns right. from the pandemic and all that was going on it was it was time so I, I gave myself that time to take care of myself and then when the bug of creativity bit me again I was I was ready but I had to like let myself get ready yeah no and I love that your full transparency and honesty of just where you were at um, yeah. during the pandemic I, I you know would say it was a big bold statement to say but I think that there were a lot of people of color specifically that were in that same spot because I mean what a tough spot to be in when we've got health disparities because let's talk about that like mm-hmm. people as people of color we just and there's a ton of research to back this mm-hmm. up like we are um, just more disposed to like more health disparities and just potential just like not great health outcomes for ourselves Mm -hmm. just being and walking life as an individual of color right but then you have this other aspect too of just like trying to like navigate life and then also seeing just the state of our world and just what was happening literally on the streets of the brutality and how you know, brown and black lives were just being brutally retaliated and just carrying the weight of those two things. Like, I love that you were like, you took that time to rest, recover and reflect. I mean, what, what, I mean, what, if anything for me, and I'm like, that's my takeaway. I'm like, rest, recover, reflect. I mean, yeah, and it's then, a must. Yes. So, you know, I could tell people, and it took me a long time, over 30 years to learn that self-care is not selfish. You know, mm. it's, it's a necessity, Yeah. you know, and I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to just keep pumping out material or keep gigging or keep doing this or that. And, and also I do have to recognize my privilege in that I did have a job that I was able to continue during lockdown. I know mm-hmm. a lot of musicians and performing artists and just a lot of people in the arts in general were out of commission for right. months and, right. you know, maybe still are. And I have to recognize that I still, at that time, I still had a paycheck. I still had a roof over my head. I yeah. could still, I still had health insurance, mm-hmm. you know, I could still meet my basic needs. So my heart really went out to people who were not in that right. position. And I did try to contribute to various, you know, emergency funds and whatnot mm-hmm. um, locally and in, into individuals as well. So I did try to do that as best I could, but then at the same time, it was a little harder for me to do that too, because normally I'll just say a lot of my my income that I get from gigging, a lot of it goes back into the machine. It either goes into my own musical projects or I donate some of it to other people's musical yeah. projects. Mm-hmm. So when my gigs stop, that extra income also stopped. Yeah, right. So it was a little hard, still a little harder for me, but I, I do want to recognize my gratitude and the privilege that I had during that time that at least I had my basic needs met and my heart and love still go out to people who are, are struggling now, right. even with them. Um, two years later, still being in, you know, not back to normal yet. So that's something I do want to recognize. And I I definitely had a a bit of a safety net, you know, with that, but even on top of that, oh, and also I don't want to say anything negative either way about this, but also the fact that, you know, I didn't have children to have to 
do virtual school or right, take right. care of during the pandemic. You know, I'm not, I'm not putting down children, but I am very much, you know, giving a shout out to people who did have to, you know, not only deal with the pandemic in their own way, but then also for their children right. to protect them and school them at home. I read daily accounts of the struggles that came with that. Yeah. And so I'm, I feel privileged that that was some, also something else that I, I, I didn't have to experience, you know, and I don't say, like I said, I'm not trying to be negative about kids. I yeah. love kids, but um, I do recognize that it made the pandemic even more challenging. Sure. Yeah. yeah. For parents. Definitely. So, so shout out to all y'all raising the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bless you. <laughs> yes, definitely. So Ronnie, you brought up that you, you know, had this other job and, you know, we're balancing the music thing. And, you know, now as we are kind of getting back into mm-hmm. the artist mode and being able to gig again and do some of those things, you know, it takes a lot to really be able to balance those two spaces And I think one thing that I've always really appreciated all the content that I've seen from you, even just being friends with you on like Facebook and stuff, is that it seems like your day job is really supportive of your identity as an artist, which I think for a lot of musicians or people who have these side hustles as artists, that synergy and that marriage of those two things is not always the case. So how did you go about navigating that and maybe getting to a place where you know, you could talk to your day job employer and say, hey, this is also a huge part of my life and a part of my identity. And I'm not going to give that up. But that doesn't mean I'm not loyal to this job. You know, how did you find that balance? You know, there there definitely is a balance um, just because it's a government job. So one good thing about that is that, um, you know, I have a very regular schedule. It's a day job, Monday through Friday. So I have weekends off, which makes it easy for weekend gigs. But, you know, if I have a gig that's in the middle of the week, sometimes they're afternoons, you know, I do have to ask for time off. Um, I do find that they are generally supportive, you know, and I think this would go for a lot of employers, but as long as like I'm on top of my work, they really don't mind if I need to take some time off. So, and it is something I did have to communicate to them though. In fact, I did, I actually had to declare it. I had to declare it as Mm -hmm. like outside employment um, and have it on file that I have this outside employment. And, you know, it it sounds really formal, but it really wasn't. They just saw that, oh, okay, she gigs from time to time, no big deal, approve, you know? (laughs) So um, I didn't have too much trouble with that. But, you know, yeah, sometimes I need to take off a whole day and sometimes I need to take off an afternoon. And I just, I try my best to make sure that I'm taking care of business with the day job so that I can have not only the time, but also the mental space and capacity to be able to do the music part because if I'm stressing about my day job then I'll be honest with you I'm kind of stressed for the rest of the day too so it's just it really does take balance and uh, another thing that the pandemic has taught me is to be a little bit more choosy with my time Mm -hmm. so I don't take every gig and actually this is something I've implemented over the last few years I, I don't take every gig anymore I weigh the pros and cons not just financially but also energy wise yeah how many spoons do I have if you know about the spoon theory yes, spoons I being kind of like measure, measurements of energy and yes. being someone with a medical condition I have multiple sclerosis and so I get very tired mm-hmm. you yeah. know and so I have to decide okay is this gig worth the practice time mm-hmm. and if right. it involves a band is it worth trying to wrangle everyone to rehearse and the transportation and the setup and the teardown. It's, it's all those things. And it's not just the 30 to 60 or 90 minutes we're on stage. It's 
the weeks leading up to it. Mm-hmm. So I have to weigh that more carefully now. So I do, when people reach out to me for bookings, I give them an hourly rate per person. Mm. I let them decide how big of a band they can afford, how much time with us they can afford. And we work that out because I'm not playing gigs anymore where it comes at a cost to me oh. because I used to, I used to play gigs where I would bust my butt with the arrangements. I would bust my butt with the scheduling and rehearsing, right. get, making sure everyone's there. And I would pay my band out of my pocket, which, you know, I, I don't mind doing that because they deserve it. Right. They're, they're hardworking musicians. They deserve it, but I can't do that anymore. That's you protecting your energy, right. And taking care of yourself and for your bandmates. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I've, I've had to become more choosy, but it's been better all around. You know, everyone's happy. They get a paycheck. I'm not, you know, spending the money that I could be spending on other things, you know, like, well, cause you know, and I, I spend my own money on my recordings as well. I pay my musicians when they come in to record, I pay the sound engineer myself. I pay for artwork and any marketing or anything like that. So this is all out of my pocket. I don't have any representation or backing, you know, other than the gigs or sure. music sales, which <sighs> folks I have to be honest, the music sales are a joke. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> We could go we on a lot like, of rants about that. I know. So don't count on that like 10 cents from iTunes New Zealand to yeah. get you through. Um, it won't. <laughs> so, so that's actually another thing with my day job that I appreciate is that, you know, it's helped me be able to fund my mu- my music habit, I guess you yeah. could say. But um, it does help, though, when I actually have gigs that pay us fairly and that money does go back into the projects. So what projects are you currently working on? This is your your uh, your shameless plug opportunity. Anything awesome. you want to plug? Well, I don't have a release date yet, but I've been working on a studio, a full-length studio album for about six years now. Okay. <laughs> and I know that sounds like an atrociously long time to work on an album, but there have been so many changes in that six years, changes in my life, changes in my band, well, the pandemic, right. um, changes in arrangements. I've written new songs for it along the way yeah. and taken away old songs that I wasn't feeling anymore. So I would say that this process has been a part of the journey in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's still in the works. I still have some vocals to lay down. I'm writing some arrangements for strings. Well, actually the the arrangements have been written. It's just more of a matter of um, transcribing them neatly and getting the musicians in. So there's still some steps to be taken. My fingers were crossed that it would be released this year, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure because I do, I do still have some other things on my plate, including live performances to get ready for. I'm also getting married at the end of the year. So exciting. (laughs) Thank you. So we'll see. And one of the great things about being an independent artist is that there are no time limits. There's no actual deadline. It really is all on me. So it's really about me doing the work that I feel proud of and ready to share with the world. So you know what? If it doesn't happen this year, it doesn't happen this year. In fact, I even thought in February, I don't know if this album's going to be done this year, even though it's only February. I was still kind of trying to see the big picture for 2022. And, you know, like I said, you got to be easy on yourself, y'all go easy on yourself. Don't rush it. Don't put out something you're not happy with because it needs to be done by such and such a date. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, like I said, I'm an independent artist, so I don't have any kind of company breathing down my neck. Right. 
Yeah. But I also don't have their backing or their support either. Right. Right. So, yeah. So it's, it's a little of both, you know, if I, I, I mean, I often think about that. If I, let's say I was an artist who had, you know, big studio backing and they could get me a band at the, the drop of a hat and snap of the fingers and we could just go in in a week and just pump out an album and be done. Yeah. That'd be great. But you know, I right. don't have that. So yep. <laughs> I just, I have to get people. And then especially during a pandemic, I'm getting people in little by little, you right. know, just the horn section, three people at a time. The strings will be like four people at a time. So you know, still trying to keep people safe yeah. and uh, do this as efficiently as I can and work in, you know, working around everyone's schedules too. Totally. Right. Yeah. So totally. It's a lot of moving parts, y'all. So yeah, I'll tell you, if, if you would have told me I'd be doing all this, you know, 10 years ago when I was going through the heartbreak and the, you know, abuse situation, if you would have told me I'd be coordinating all this, I don't think I could believe you because, you know, at that time I was just trying to get through day to day. And now right. I'm like, whoa, I'm <laughs> Yeah. Kind of this one woman, one woman uh, circus. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love how far you've come and how you're using your story, including the hard moments of your story to, you know, build something that's amazing and inspiring. And that's a big part of the reason why we wanted to have you on our right. show oh. today. So well, I'm so appreciative. I, I really do appreciate well, first of all, people, anyone thinking of me, I'm always yeah. super grateful for that, but also wanting to hear my story and talk about it. And I can only hope it'll help other people too, because, you know, I, if you do the math with my birth year, I will be 40 this year, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a little unbelievable. You don't look to, it. Let me just say that. Me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Dr- drink your water, everyone. Yeah. Drink water, moisturize, <laughs> SPF. There you, you know. go. But, um, oh, and melanin helps. Yes. Little known, this is true. Little known <laughs> secret. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, but as I get older, you know, I, I am learning a lot about, you know, like we're just talking about, like, kind of reclaiming, you know, Maxine Waters talk about reclaiming your time, right. you know, really making sure that your time is being spent wisely yeah. um, and that you are getting the rest that you need. I mean, honestly, if because the thing is, if I don't get the rest that I need, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Absolutely. So if I don't give myself that time um, to recover, then there won't be any more music. So I have to kind of remember that too. You can't, we can't run ourselves into the ground. I know we all want to be, especially I feel like as people of color, women of color, we feel like we have to be superwoman a lot of totally. the time and prove ourselves worthy, prove ourselves, um, you know, that we belong in this space, right. but we still need our rest and to take care of ourselves too. Such a powerful statement. I want to let that kind of sink in for our listeners. Cause yeah, I think that women of color, especially maybe more than anybody else have the tendency to sort of burn out and run ourselves Mm -hmm. into the ground, trying to wear all the hats that we wear and juggle all the responsibilities and constantly be thinking about where we are positioning ourselves within society and the world and the spaces that, you know, the communities that we're a part Mm -hmm. of and um, sometimes to our own detriment, right? We burn out in that process. So I love your emphasis on self-care and taking your time and just being really mindful of what your body is doing and what your mind is doing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, you know, don't put something out until you're ready to. And I think that's such a great point. So, yeah, yeah. you know, and I do realize once again, you know, like I said, I don't have any children, but I know a lot of 
folks do have kids and so their kids needs come first, you know, so um, I'm absolutely not ignorant to that fact, you know, they still have to take care of their families. A lot of times we're we're nurturers, you know, women in general, we're, we're the nurturers and the caregivers. Actually, I think it it sometimes works to my advantage, not having kids, because then I feel like I have that little bit of extra energy to help my friends who do be a good auntie, not only to my own niece, but to my honorary nieces and nephews and friends, kids and whatnot. Um, I think it's really just important as a community to support one another, you know, in our domestic endeavors and our artistic endeavors. It's just, it's all really important to me because I actually am a very domestic person. You mm-hmm. know, like I said, I'm getting married at the end of the year. I love, um, you know, cooking and, and spending time with my partner and just being at home. So it's actually, I have to say, getting back into gigging kind of shook me out of that a sure, little bit. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, we got, girl, we got to like put some makeup on. We got to... <laughs> we got to put some shoes on. (laughs) We got to leave the house. We have to pack our stuff and carry a gig bag. Like what, what is this nonsense? Oh, and then on top of that, we have to socialize with people. (laughs) My first gig, uh, my first onstage gig in a long time was with the Bushwick book club. And I only sang one song Mm because we just write one song to go with the books that we're reading. But I tell you what, I was still so tired after that. And I think it was just the gig experience, right? Driving around, looking for parking, walking in the rain, <laughs> socializing before and after the show, the long drive home, like it's all part of the package. So, so be mindful of that too, you know, with gigs is that it's not just the, the minutes that you're on stage, it's Definitely. everything else too. Oh, so good. So, and yeah. I'm saying that more for myself. Than sure. Yeah, no, I can <laughs> yeah, totally actually, relate. Well, we're going to wrap up and we're going to do our final segment, which is called the final five and five, where we'll ask five questions and the hope is that we will get all the answers in under five minutes so first question if you're ready what's currently inspiring your creativity you know I just saw Janelle Monet. she put out her first book and I have to tell you she has been inspiring me for years but it's kind of rekindled my love for her to see her not only doing amazing music and videos, you know, visual arts and things like that, but now putting out a book, I don't know, it just kind of inspires me to just keep creating and keep going. And like we're saying before, not to limit yourself. That's right. Oh, so good. How do you define success? I think success looks different for every person. For me personally, it's me being satisfied with the work I've done. Honestly, I think it's great when other people uh, support you and it's great when other people validate you, but I think ultimately I have to be happy with it before, um, you know, any other kind of more acceptable definitions of success would ever come into play. Sure. So good. Yeah. All right. Fun question. Who is your biggest musical celebrity crush? Oh my gosh. Well, I think always and forever it's going to be Prince because oh, he I love it. I mean, honestly, like till the day I die and beyond because, you know, he came into my life. Actually, he first came into my life when I was a child, but I just I didn't really get him as much yeah, as a little sure. kid. But then at age 13, he just completely changed the game for me. Mm. Not only with his musicianship, but, you know, the way he dressed, the way he presented himself, the yeah. way he stuck so true to his own convictions and really didn't care about what other people thought of him. And that meant so much to me as this very sad, confused 13 year old who was struggling with a lot of identity issues, you know, being, you know, like I said before, I was one of very few people of color in my community trying to fit in somewhere. 
but I was also really awkward and nerdy. I was struggling with my sexual identity, trying to figure that out. And Prince just really kind of made me feel seen and understood. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I loved the music. And then as an adult, I mean, I was totally one of those crazy fangirls. I mean, I flew <laughs> to concerts. I bought plane tickets Dang, to see this movie. Okay. And the last time I saw him was actually a year before he passed. I saw him at Paisley Park mm. in Minnesota. And my best friend, Trista, came with me and we were right up at the front and he and his final band played together. And it was just like such a dream come true. So wow. you can imagine how completely soul shattering it was when he passed. Yes. Yeah. And it, really, yeah. and it very much affected me as a person and a musician. But um, but yeah, he'll be my he'll be my music crush till I die. He's just given me so much. He's in and this might sound super dramatic, but I think if you're a Prince fan, you you get it. But I feel almost like he's, in a lot of ways, he's kind of the love of my life, you know, yeah. musically, musically at least. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah. All right. So you have an impromptu last minute dinner party that you're hosting. What's on the menu? Oh, I love to cook. So <laughs> this is hard to say. I, I just, you know what, though? I feel like Indian food is just kind of my go-to if I want to impress people. I kind of developed a butter chicken recipe oh. that took years to kind of perfect to my taste anyway. And I would make that maybe some homemade naan, mm. onion pakora and like chutney and just, you know, just really uh, try to blow them away. Even though I, I have to admit, I did not learn this from an in Indian grandma or auntie or anything. This is all from cookbooks and YouTube and just my own trials and errors at home. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like that would, that would probably be yeah. it. I'm all that, like or, you know, if I truly was, <laughs> if it was truly a surprise dinner party and I had to use what's on hand, then probably, uh, probably some kind of, probably some kind of Korean or Chinese thing. Cause oh, I always have, yeah. I always have the sauces on hand, like the gochujang and different kinds of soy sauce and things like that. Delicious. Yeah. Can I, I can always improvise some kind of good Korean or Chinese food. All right. Final question. Are there any women of color businesses or brands that you would recommend to our listeners? Absolutely. So it's it's not exclusively women of color, but there is an, a local brand of indigenous artists that I absolutely love. It's called mm -hmm. Eighth Generation. Yes. And um, they have a store at Pike Place Market and you can also order online. I believe it's eighthgeneration.com. I hope that's website. Um, in fact, I know people at home won't be able to see it, but on um, that blanket behind me on the couch is from one of their artists. Oh, it's cool. beautiful. Yeah. Sarah Agaton, Sarah Agaton House, um, who does a lot of those beautiful floral designs. Mm. Um, and I just love their company because they say they're not native inspired, they're inspired natives. Mm. All the artists are indigenous and that's where your money and support is going is to indigenous artists. And what's awesome is that they have so many different styles, right. you know, so you can pick the style that fits your taste and your decor. So I would highly recommend checking them out because, you know, I've got that beautiful blanket. I've always had my eyes on some of their jewelry and, you know, socks and things like that too. Yeah. So I highly recommend supporting oh, eighth generation. Love it. Love it. We'll have to check it out. Thank you for the shout out for that uh, local company. Absolutely. And we'll be sure to include their website information in our show notes so that our listeners can check it out. Yes, please do. And where can people <laughs> find you online? You can find me at my website, uh, champagnehoneybee.com. I'm also on Instagram at champagnehoneybee, Facebook, champagnehoneybee. Really, if you type in champagnehoneybee, you really should only find me and that that horse. So 
So <laughs> perfect. If it's the horse, probably not my concert. Great. So yeah, just search champagne honeybee. Look for my, you know, shiny brown face. Yeah. You're good to go. Awesome. Well, yeah. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to chat with us and share a bit about your story. This has been delightful and we've really enjoyed having you on the Take Back podcast. Well, thank you all. Like I said, I, I always appreciate it when people want to reach out to me and talk to me and you know, it just, it really warms my heart that you're doing this too. I really believe in what you're doing. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, so that means a lot. And we're excited to have your voice in the mix for sure. Thank you. So that was Ronnie. Oh, didn't you just yeah. love that episode? So good. I really enjoyed um, that we got to hear a little bit from her and that we got to share her story with you guys. And so thank you again for, you know, listening through this episode if you haven't already, feel free to check out our website at thetakebackpodcast.com. And also feel free to follow us on Instagram at thetakebackpodcast. And if you are a woman of color creative and are interested in finding out more about potentially being a guest on our show, feel free to go to our website and send us a message. We would love to continue the conversation and see if you'd be a right fit as a guest. And last but not least, if you like what you heard in today's episode, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and leave a review, whether it's commenting, a takeaway from today's episode. These reviews are so valuable for us and it help us get the word out about the stories and the work that we're doing on The Take Back. Thank you again for being here today and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Want to be a creative revolutionary with us? Visit thetakebackpodcast.com to learn more.